Consumer interest in electric cars continues to increase in 2021, causing century-old legacy car companies to embrace this new technology. This is GreenSense, where we bring you eco-innovations that are changing our world. And with the latest on green automotive news, we turn to Tom Appel, our resident guru of gears, whose day job is publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, to tell us more. Welcome, Tom. Thanks for having me. Do you have a t-shirt that says guru of gears? Or? <laughs> We'll have to get you one. <laughs> I know. That or a baseball hat. Right. Uh, well, we have a lot to talk about it. I, I can remember all the naysayers out there about EVs, but they seem to really be coming on strong, and there's so much development out there. And it's hard to believe that the same company that manufactures iPhones, the Amazon Kindle, uh, PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo Switch could be making electric cars. It's Foxconn. The huge Taiwanese electronics manufacturing company just announced it might make EVs in its underutilized Wisconsin factory. It's good for the Midwest. Tom, in your opinion, how hard is it for the device company to move into making EVs? At least they make something. And I, <laughs> I say that because I think if we've learned anything watching Tesla, it's that we learned that it's really, really hard to build a car. Um, we also learned this from, from Google that initially had planned to build the Google car, but then moved really to a company called Waymo, which is just dedicating itself to autonomous vehicle technology. And they're going to allow the manufacturing to be handled by someone else. I think increasingly we're going to see that existing manufacturers or existing suppliers are going to build these vehicles for would-be EV companies simply because the manufacturing end is so hard. It's so complicated, the logistics are incredible, and the cost of building a factory these days is, is astronomical. Well, and you don't have to just build a car, you have to build the equipment that builds the car. Right. And that's what makes it so complicated. And as you said, these are so expensive because they're so automated, they're so high tech, and they're, they're much more environmentally clean. Yeah, the other part of the story, too, is, is the batteries, um, which are going to be handled primarily by outside suppliers as we move forward into um, an EV environment. We're going to find that really big manufacturers, General Motors, Tesla, uh, Volkswagen, will either have their own suppliers or build their own. Other manufacturers are going to be buying them from a, from a different supplier. Well, I'm going to read a, uh, just a, a, a snippet here from a recent AP article. Opinion polls show that a substantial majority of Americans would buy an EV if it cost less, if there were more charging stations, and if a wider variety of cars were available. Uh, EVs currently make up about 2% of cars on the road. We know that GM, Ford, and VW are putting big bucks behind their EVs. Do you think they can overcome those three hurdles? I think they can. Right now, when people think electric vehicles, I think they're thinking very small vehicles like the Mitsubishi iMeve or relatively expensive vehicles like, like the Tesla products that most people see. What we haven't seen yet are a lot of interesting, uh, compelling, price-sensitive price products, and we're going to see those now. General Motors just redid the Bolt EV. Nissan's got the, uh, the Aria coming out soon. The Volkswagen ID4 is about to hit showrooms. These are vehicles that are priced around $30,000, $40,000, or even a little bit less with the tax incentives if they qualify for those. And I think that those are the vehicles that are going to start changing minds. And of course, there's the Mustang Mach-E, which costs a little bit more than those vehicles. Just get out of that vehicle. 
thrilling to drive, really interesting. And I think that's the kind of vehicle that you're going to see in your neighbor's driveway and go, hey, Bob, tell me about that thing. Um, so you hit two of them, uh, getting them to cost less and getting a wider variety of cars. What about the charging stations? Because, you know, as I test drove these originally, that charge anxiety is real, even though they're starting to get more miles. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the charging situation is interesting. For most people who buy electric cars, at least in this next wave of mainstream purchasers, charging at home is going to take care of a lot of that. Most people drive less than 40 miles round trip every day. That's not a problem at all. Longer trips, there is a charging network being built. We've talked about Electrify America before, which is the network being built with Volkswagen punitive money from the diesel scandal. Uh, and that's putting in a considerable network. What we need is more high-speed level three chargers out there for long trips. Those are being built. I think that initially, maybe there'll be some challenges, but I think that those will be overcome fairly quickly. But for most people, charging at home is going to be the answer. If they go a little bit further, using some sort of uh, commercial charging station is the option. Our last interview uh, on the last episode of Green Sense was with a uh, woman who talked about the resiliency of the grid and also about what happened recently in Texas on how it went down with all the renewable energy that powered it. Uh, so we asked her the question on what she thought as more EVs come online, what kind of stress is that gonna put on the grid? I'd like to hear your answer. Yeah, I've heard different answers. And one of the ones that I've heard that seems most plausible, the Department of the US Department of Energy predicts that we're going to hit peak electricity or the point where we're gonna be using the most possible electricity on the grid around 2050, at which point demand because of EVs and other changes in the US economic climate will be about a third to 50% higher than it is right now. It's sort of understood that the grid isn't going to buckle too much under that load. Additionally, we're talking about a fair amount of time for now, there is time to upgrade. And as we know, where there is demand, American business tends to find a way to make money off of it. So if beefing up the grid is something we need to do, I think it's gonna happen, but. <laughs> well, her comment was interesting. She said that uh, she thought that people will use their cars to charge back into the grid at night so that these will actually become storage nodes on the grid. And also in times of power outages, she heard of stories of people using their electric cars to run things off of. So I thought that was actually a interesting positive. Take. Yeah, the smart grid idea where cars, car batteries become part of the grid is a great idea. Obviously, there are logistical and, and, and technical issues where you don't want your car being tapped for electricity shortly before you have to take off for a long trip. But obviously, that stuff can be overcome. And that's fascinating. And, and it's actually something I need to look more into because the whole smart grid idea suggests that cars can be this integral part of the grid and used to 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 come to uh, uh to complement periods of time when we need more battery power and we don't want to generate more um let's uh, spend a little more time on the variety of cars issue you know for a long time i've always thought i wish the uh, car manufacturers started out with trucks uh because they had so much more battery uh capacity storage area and we'll have to do a show just dedicated to electric trucks because there are so many cool mottos coming down the uh, pipeline here. What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, one of the ones you mentioned earlier, the Ford F-150 electric vehicle, that's probably going to be a game changer in terms of 
uh, utility because it's going to develop an amazing amount of torque and that's a big advertising number that Ford can use. But I think it's gonna change a lot of mind. If you're looking for a traditional American buyer, there probably isn't one more traditional or American than a Ford F-150 buyer. And if Ford can sell them an electric truck, I think that Ford can sell anyone an electric vehicle. Well, let's look at cost. Uh, Bloomberg reports in the first half of 2020, the average retail price of an EV, excluding incentives, was $55,000 in the U.S. You compare that to China at $30,000. A lot of this has to do with cheap Chinese-made EVs that sell for around eight dollars to $10,000. Will those ever catch on here? No, I don't think so. The cheap EVs are very cheap. There's a, a product that's built by General Motors uh, joint venture with SAIC in China, a division called Wuling, and they sell a vehicle that costs about $4,000, which incredibly oh. <laughs> goes, about, goes about 100 miles. Uh, very small, very compact, probably doesn't fit the average American customer frame. Uh, additionally, I think that we would be appalled by its crashworthiness. Uh, there simply is no front to rear overhang on that vehicle. But I think it works really well for urban environments. I think that in China where you have huge cities and clogged traffic, a little vehicle like this is easy to park, easy to maneuver. And the fact that it has a very limited top speed isn't a problem. Well, we can't talk about EVs without talking about Tesla. And they announced that they're making a, a low cost EV in China and the price point in the US is gonna be about 25,000. And if you look at the tax credits, you'll be able to get on that. It'll bring it down to 19,000. When do you expect to see that model actually in the States? That's a good question. Right now, Tesla Model 3 sales are starting to fall a little bit. That's their most expensive product at the moment, or least expensive product at the moment. So I think that the door is open for them to bring in something that's less expensive. I don't know where they would build that yet. Are they gonna build that in China and import it to the US? Right now, right now we'd have the trade barriers that would block that. Um, the tariffs are still in place from the Trump administration, but. At any point, that could be what happens. Also, um, Tesla is operating factories in China and in Germany. One of those could supply the product as well. Well, we've talked a lot about cars for personal use, but there's also just a very big market for fleet vehicles. More than 50 South Korean companies are getting into the EV game, including Samsung Electronics, uh, Posco, uh, Lot Rental. Uh, and they all plan to change their corporate vehicles to either EVs or hydrogen fuel cars by 2030. Are we starting to see something uh, similar here with uh, U.S. company fleet vehicles? Yeah, the good news is that we're going to see that Amazon.com, UPS, FedEx, companies like that, definitely moving electric and already have contracts in place. And that's a really wonderful place to, to sort of more or less test the concept because these are vehicles that, that, that move very heavy loads, not long distances but I think that these companies can afford the infrastructure to charge these vehicles overnight. So that's a really good launching pad, I think, for, for commercial utilization of electric vehicles. A couple of uh, weeks ago, we did a show on uh, a hydrogen production facility in upstate New York, where they were putting $5 billion into making one of the largest, greenest uh, hydrogen production using Niagara Falls hydroelectric power to break the a hydrogen oxygen bond in water. So using water to power electricity to break, uh, break that bond. Um, what are your thoughts on hydrogen? Hydrogen isn't a solution for 
regular day-to-day -day transportation, and probably not for short fleet delivery. It's a great solution for over-the-road truckers. The problem with hydrogen is that it needs to be stored. A hydrogen-powered vehicle is really an electric vehicle that also has a fuel cell and hydrogen storage facilities. So they are more expensive and, and heavier. But for over-the-road trucks, where, which, which meet at places where you could put in a hydrogen uh, fueling station, and because they have the space to put giant hydrogen cylinders, for storage, I think it can work very well. And we, see, we know that Tesla, Nikola, and Toyota are backing uh, that technology. Is Nikola still in business? I thought they had some scandal and uh, uh, something happened there. Maybe you could fill us in. Yeah, unfortunately, the Nikola deal with General Motors fell apart after Nikola was accused by uh, a short-selling company Hindenburg Research of having overstated uh, some of its capabilities to shareholders and, and, and the, the ensuing scandal, General Motors backed away from most of that deal. But the company does still exist, and I believe that General Motors is prepared to still sell them fuel cells. Okay. Well, most industries uh, rely on their trade shows to bring people together to increase commerce, and probably nothing is more visible than the Chicago Auto Show. You were a, uh, last year, it was the 2020 show was able to go off because it was scheduled right before the pandemic uh, hit the US. And I don't know, were you able to attend? Oh, absolutely. Uh, what are your thoughts on 2021? Will there be an auto show and is there enough time to uh, plan for it? The, the, the folks at the Chicago Auto Show who produced what I think is one of the finest auto shows on the planet have been trying really hard to get something together. Um, they had a plan to do something earlier in the pandemic, and the city of Chicago ultimately didn't approve the plan. Uh, they're, so they're talking about doing something in summer or late summer now. And I think the question is, is less whether or not it'll be approved, because I think a light version of the auto show will probably be approved. Uh, the real concern that I have is whether or not manufacturers will be interested. It'll be a partial year. There have been all sorts of weird uh, introductions and things like that that have happened off the grid, more or less. And, smaller, more, more uh, targeted ways. I don't know how many manufacturers are going to want to bring product to a show that time of year during a period of time when they may not get a very large audience. Well, let's talk on another subject where, where that's in the same ballpark here, and that's the supply chain. I know in our business, we use steel when we build a farm. The price of steel has gone through the roof, and also shipping steel yeah, has gone through the roof. Um, how is the auto supply chain? Are there, are there gaps in it? And is that hurting production? Well, we've just learned how fragile that chain can be because right now there's a microchip shortage. Um, and it turned out that manufacturers early in the pandemic reduced orders for microchips only to learn that the reduced demand wasn't that reduced. People still bought vehicles um, at not nearly as reduced a rate as they had planned. However, it takes a very long time to ramp up microchip production. So right now, as we speak, manufacturers are shutting down plants or idling plants while they wait for uh, orders for microchips, microchips to arrive. So yeah, this can be a very fragile thing. We also learned that in the 80s or so when American manufacturers started to adopt Japanese just-in-time uh, manufacturing and, and uh, parts delivery styles, that, <laughs> that, that works great when it's working, but anything, any bug in the system can bring everything to a grinding halt. Yes. So uh, I don't know how we're not going to see hyperinflation out there. It seems like uh, prices seem to be going up everywhere and there's gaps in the, the supply chain. Things are taking longer. So it's going to be interesting to see us uh, ramp up as this uh, pandemic winds down. 
Well, I want to leave on a high note. It's been a while since uh, you and I both, both have driven a car and then compared our test drives. Uh, and next month, uh, I get to review the new Ford Mach, uh, Mustang Mach-E, which you talked a little bit about. Why is this going to be a, a, a fun thing for us to compare? Yeah, Ford brilliantly named this vehicle Mustang. It's the Mustang Mach-E. It's actually a compact crossover. But in, in classic Mustang style, it's a little bit more than a crossover. It is very quick. So it's available with all-wheel drive, with an extended battery. Uh, the vehicle we drove here at Consumer Guide was just a little bit under $60,000. And that's about all the stuff you can get on it. It is wonderfully quick. The interior is very clean and modern. And this is exactly the sort of vehicle I think that could win the hearts of people who are resistant to driving an electric vehicle. Well, Tom, it's always uh, a pleasure and an honor to talk to the Guru of Gears. Uh, thanks for taking time and sharing your knowledge with us. Oh, the pleasure is always mine. That's Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Read his articles and reviews at consumerguide.com and check out his podcast while you're there. I'm Robert Colangelo. This is GreenSense with a reminder for you to check out the GreenSense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM, WBBM Chicago.